Welcome back to QAVTK episode 519, recording this Tuesday, the 17th of Mar- uh, May. 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 2 10 pm on a slightly sunny day here in Brisbane. What's the weather like down in Sydney? <laughs> Well, it's not shiny today. It's it's beautiful and shiny. Shiny shiny. <laughs> shiny shiny. And how are you doing, TK? Oh, not so well, Cam. Just uh, Jen's got COVID. I'm trying to dodge it, but I think I may have had it because I've been fairly sick lately. Oh, my God. Four months in Cape Shank to avoid COVID. You come home. Two days later, you got COVID. Not two days later. I, well, we did go to Wagga last weekend, so it could be that. Lots of socialisation and no masks. But I was talking to someone in the building, letting them know that we've got COVID, and they went, oh, yeah, every second place in the building's got COVID. So it's just out there and about. Well, successfully dodged it for two and a bit years, two years, two and a bit. Hey, it's tough. I mean, well, officially I've had a sinus infection. So if anyone out there has bad sinuses, I'll know what that's like. But uh, it shared all the symptoms with COVID. I've been testing negative, but then Jen came down with COVID and tested positive, so I suspect I may have had it and given it to her, but I just don't know. And, um, yeah, it's been tough. I've struggled. Lots of coughing, difficulty breathing, being in bed. Well, not in bed, but resting for a couple of days. Yeah, tough. You haven't been bitten by the heptothilidae, have you? (laughs) No. Well, possibly. I don't know what's going on. And this friendly little devil is the Heptothilidae, unfortunately harmless. Next to him, the nasty Lycosa raptoria. His tiny fangs cause creeping ulcerations of the skin. (laughs) And here, my prize, the precious Black Widow. Isn't she lovely and so deadly? Her tiny fangs cause, no, her kiss, oh, God damn it. (laughs) Is this Vincent Price? Yeah, nice one. Yes, Black Widow. Isn't she lovely and so deadly? Her kiss is 15 times as poisonous as that of the rattlesnake. (laughs) You see, her venom is highly neurotoxic, which is to say that it causes intense pain, profuse sweating, difficulty in breathing, loss of consciousness, violent convulsions, and finally, uh, death. You know, I think what I love the most about her is her inborn need to dominate, possess. In fact, immediately after the consummation of her marriage to the smaller and weaker male of the species, she kills and eats him. (laughs) Oh, she is delicious. And I hope he was. There you go. (laughs) That's from the introduction to Black Widow, Alice Cooper's Welcome to My Nightmare, Ah. 1975, done by Vincent Price. Burned. Not as well as I thought, but seared into my memory since, I don't know, 1983 when I discovered Alice Cooper. Super duper Alice Cooper. And a big golf fan too. And he lives in Phoenix, Arizona, where I'm going to be in a month for a couple of weeks. And for 20 years, he ran Cooper Town, his restaurant slash theme park, but it shut down during COVID and it's gone out of business. So the one time I go to Phoenix, Arizona <laughs> to hang out with Alice Cooper, his place is shut down. So I'm going to have to go play golf now in order to meet Alice is basically what it comes down to. And look for Vincent Furness on the booking sheet, not Alice Cooper. Yeah, Fernier. Vincent Fernier, Fernier, thank you. Sorry. I thought you were going to break out the raven for us. Oh, I could do that too. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while... (laughs) Anyway, don't get me started. (laughs) We should talk about investing. Tony, uh, I want to start off by saying that one of our listeners, Michael, 
has asked us to give Bitcoin and active fund managers a total miss for at least the next few episodes. He says it's getting monotonous, that we're beating up on them too much. He said, you're better than that. And I replied, well, obviously we're not because we keep doing it. (laughs) It's too much fun and they're an easy target. (laughs) But, you know, what are you going to do? Well, yeah, uh, Michael, let's talk about Afterpay instead. (laughs) (laughs) No, you wouldn't like that either. Don't beat up on the tech stocks. Well, I said we'll do our best. I went out to lunch with Chairman Mab and Lee from the ASA for lunch uh, yesterday. Thank you to them. And I do want to give a plug for the upcoming ASA conference and the special deal that they did for us. So if you want to get a special ASA membership, I think it's like even free for the first year for QAV Club members, take us up on that. If you didn't see the link that I posted a couple of weeks ago, email me and I'll shoot that out to you. But we were talking about uh, you know performance of all of these things yesterday and funds, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of good stuff I got from them that I would love to have talked about today on the show, but uh, not allowed to. Michael has put the kibosh on it, so we'll have to save it. Michael? Yeah, Michael was the guy that complained, the listener who complained. So we'll, oh, well. <laughs> we'll have to wait a month. Michael, curse you, Michael. I want to hear the gossip from lunch. I want to thank um, Mark, who shared his checklist checklist with us recently uh, for QAV Club members. So. Mark, uh, like myself, and I think many of us, uh, has found that when it comes time to buy and sell something, sometimes we get so excited, we forget to check some things like dividends that I've talked about before, et cetera, et cetera. So he came up with a checklist for the checklist. So you get your buy list, but before you buy, he's got a checklist. We published that. I think that's a great idea. I would like to say that I've been using it for the last week, but I've been so frantically selling and buying things that I haven't had time to use the checklist for the checklist. But uh, I think it's a really good idea. So well done, Mark. And thank you for sharing that with all of us. That was nice of you. I thought that was a typo in the show notes. A a checklist checklist. It's the checklist squared. I wanted to tell you the story about Fox's birthday money. So Fox had his birthday party on Sunday. Didn't have it on his actual birthday because it was Mother's Day and no one could turn up. So we did his party and, and he got a lot of cash. You know, people gave him cards with cash. And literally, as soon as we got home and he was opening all the cards, he came to me with a pile of cash and a, uh, a gift card. And he said, this is worth $130. I said, oh, that's great. What are you going to do with it? He goes, can you invest it in QAV for me? <laughs> I said, yes, I can, buddy. And so you may recall when I, so two years ago for his birthday, he got $100 and I, and I set up a, he wanted to invest it in QAV and I set up what I call his QAV fund, but it's really just a spreadsheet where I put the money in and I said I would pay him a dollar a day for every day he left that $100 in there, thinking he'd leave it in there for a week (laughs) and then he'd want to spend it on Pokemon cards or something. He's left it in there for two years. (laughs) He's taken bits out. He's taken a little bit out to buy my secondhand iPad when he, he, he broke his iPad and he wanted to buy my old one. I made him pay for it out of that money. But um, he's also been putting money back in, like pocket money and birthday money and Christmas money and all that kind of stuff. Wow. So he's got about 750 bucks in oh. there. <laughs> so I was out at lunch with uh, Stephen and Lee yesterday, and we were talking about kids and investing and how to, and Stephen said what he's done with, I think, his youngest is he's created an account for them and they're buying an ETF or a couple of ETFs, I think. Doesn't have a lot of money, but, you know, buying, I think, like a emerging markets ETF and a NASDAQ ETF and an Australian ETF. And 
And I was like, yeah, that's really good because, you know, they have, he actually has something and he can keep that for the rest of his life and it won't cost me a dollar a day. <laughs> so last night I said to Fox, uh, oh, by the way, I was out with these guys and we were talking about this and, and what I'm going to do instead of the, the, what we have been doing is I'm going to put it in an ETF. He goes, oh, okay, so if I leave it in there for one year, how much money will I get out of it? And I said, well, an ETF will probably over long haul bring about 10% a year. And he goes, well, what's that? And I said, well, if you put $750 in, 10%, $75, he goes, hold on a second. How much will I get if I just leave it where it is? And I said, well, it's a dollar a day. And he goes, so that's $365 I'll have at the end of the year. And I said, yeah, he goes, I'll just leave it where it is, thanks. <laughs> Fantastic. He's eight and he's outsmarting me. And he's comparing ROEs. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm screwed, Tony. I'm totally screwed. <laughs> he's smarter than me and he's eight. <laughs> Wait to come up there in two weeks' time and tell him about inflation and how the dollar grows to a dollar fifty a day <laughs> next year. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Let's talk about commodities. What's a sell? What's not a sell? And why not, Tony? So I think as of yesterday, when we looked at the commodity charts, Aluminium, copper, platinum, all still sells. Gold, we decided not a sell. If you look at the US dollar, it's a sell. If you look at the Aussie dollar, it's not a sell. So we're holding on to that for a while. Mm-hmm. Iron ore, you said last week you were thinking about whether or not to fudge iron ore again. You've decided no for the time being? No, I decided to fudge. Oh, you are fudging? Yeah, so it's a... A three-year graph. So if you're using Stock Doctor, you can graph that. And the reason for that is my original thinking on the first fudge last year was that the the iron oil cycle seems to be a two-year cycle. So I used two years originally, but found an L1, couldn't find an L2. There's only one big trough in that period. So I went back to three years and I can find L1, L2, and it gives a fudge sell price of $98.50 for iron oil. And what is it at the moment? 135, 130, something like that. Oh, okay. So it's not a sell, yeah, 127. So it's not a sell yet, even with the fudge. Correct. Oh, okay. That's good. So fudge line on iron ore, good to know. Anything else on commodities that we should talk about? No, not that I can think of. I mean, I, th- I think it's certainly a strange period. It's um, iron ore is being driven by China and they just dropped their interest rates again today. So that Iron ore price might may, may pick up again, but as long as Shanghai remains in lockdown and ba- parts of Beijing and they're trying to go for a zero tolerance to COVID, the Chinese economy is going to suffer, which means iron ore is not going to be strong. That won't last forever, I don't think. I'm sure it won't. So iron ore will probably turn around. Again, oil and gas is going strong with given the problems in Europe. We'll talk about the gold question. I think there's a question later on about US dollars gold versus Australian dollar gold. We can talk about it then. But one of the reasons for hunting up the AUD price is that uh, in an inflationary environment, you would expect gold to do well, which it traditionally does. It's like an equivalent to cash, really. So people will often buy gold during periods of inflation to maintain their wealth. It's a store of wealth and, and the gold price generally goes up. So surprising US dollar price has gone down, but I think that's probably because of the US dollar. And we could do a whole episode on what's happening with the US dollar, but um, for up until now, for a century or so, the US dollar has been the default contract for world trade. And that's starting to break down now with um, China in particular and Russia, of course. So 
there's less demand out there to buy US dollars and US dollars sinking, which I think is the reason why the US dollar gold price is going down and the Australian one's going up because our dollar isn't, isn't sinking as well. Yeah, so all in all, I expect commodities to hold. Don't know about aluminium and the other ones we spoke about that are in sell positions. The other complicating factor is world growth. And um, with inflation going up, with the Ukraine and China where they are, that, that probably won't be strong and that may affect commodities going forward. But it's source for that speculation and uh, we just watch the graphs. Yeah. Jaina, Jaina, Jaina. Well, I had a look at our uh, dummy portfolio this morning, uh, as you would expect for the financial year. It's dropped quite a lot recently, but compared to the SPDR 200, not doing too bad, we're about 4% for the financial year versus a little bit less than 3% for the 200. So 30% above the index, not our usual 100%, but it's okay. But uh, since inception, still doing great. We're up 23% roughly since inception versus the all odds or the 200 up 7%. So three times over that period of time, which is great. So that's what matters. Yeah. And it's been a particular, like the market's clearly moving sideways. It's up 3% for the financial year. And it's trying to find its, its footing. It's trying to decide what to do, especially with uh, what's going on in the world, plus inflation, plus interest rates rising. It'll take a while. Generally, these kinds of periods will eventually shake out, either up or down, and then continue with that trend. My gut says we'll go up, but who knows? And the reason why I say that is because I'm not sure inflation is going to be persistent. I think it, once the COVID effect washes through and you'd have to think that things happening in Europe will eventually resolve themselves and the same with COVID in China, but there'll be a whole set of new circumstances to deal with when those things get resolved. So who knows? That's what's happening in the market. It's, it's finding its feet, particularly with rising interest rates, I think is probably the biggest unknown for it at the moment. Is it short term? Is it long term? And how high will they go? Uh, it's been an interesting day today on the market. It's up and like some of the stocks have had a great day. Beach Energy up 5% percent today. Yeah, you beauty. <laughs> ECX is up three today. It, it always amuses me when, you know, there's been all this doom and gloom and all of a sudden everything's going up in leaps and bounds the next day. You're like, well, why were you selling two days ago, but you're buying today? Like what's happened in the last two days that's changed your outlook that dramatically? Meh. I mean, that's an interesting study in market psychology again. Uh, there's a lot of people who are saying, even for things like crypto, sorry, Mark, that, um, you know, should we be buying the, the drop, buying the dip? And uh, I think, you know, because the market's been choppy for the last six months or so, I think people are conditioned to say, let's just see where it finishes up after a couple of days and then start buying again. If they're buying the dip all the time. But one of the things like you've always got to be wary of in the share market is the dead cat bounce. And that's when the markets drop and then they have a, a little rally and then they just drop further and they just like a sucker's rally. And that's why, you know, even though it's been a bit of work and it's been choppy and I've been selling and then rebuying and selling and buying, and that might seem like a self-defeating type exercise, but it's really there as insurance against things like dead cap bounces and further drops. And I'm quite happy to pay that little bit of insurance for the sake of avoiding the big fall when it comes. And of course, uh as I, I've been reminding people lately, you know, one of the one of your mantras is always be invested because we don't know when it's going to turn around. And 
Well, quite often, and I've I've seen this just in the last few years. We've been doing this quite often. When it turns around, it turns around quickly and ferociously. And even if you you miss out on in the on the first week of that, you could quite easily miss out on five or ten percent of of growth. As you said, stocks are rising five percent today. So yeah, you can miss out on that. Interesting sort of thought game I was playing last week. Someone asked when people sell their shares, where does the money go? And I guess what they were meaning was, do they put it under the mattress? Does it go into the bank? Does it sit in cash until something happens? What, and they rent to the market, what, what do they do with it? And um, what happens is the people who are really goes, even though the person who sold may be holding onto the cash, the asset still stays with the people who stayed in. That's where the money goes because when that asset goes up, which it has long-term for the last 150 years or longer, yeah, our wealth goes up. The person who sold, unless they reinvested in the share market, their wealth may go up at a much slower rate. It goes under the mattress. It doesn't go up at all. So I always stay invested for that reason. And I guess the caveat is, I know last week I, I sold a number of shares and then reinvested all but one of the proceeds from that sale, which I'm redoing again now. So the process is designed to go to cash when everything looks really bad and things are sliding even further like it did during the COVID cough. So uh, there are periods when we do go to cash. I think even at, at the height of the COVID cough, we're still only about 50 or 60% in cash, so not completely. And we were buying back in soon after. But yeah, generally, I want to be 100% invested. Let me ask you a question, though. So I, I was doing a bit of analysis on our portfolio, the dummy portfolio, this morning for the club newsletter. In the last week, we sold BOL and TGA and bought EVO, REG, and NHC because we had a little bit of cash left over from another sale. But in the last 30 days, we've only had to sell four stocks out of the dummy portfolio. With all the turmoil and doom and gloom, it's been established long enough that we've only had to sell four. And that doesn't seem to be particularly unusual. Looking back over the last year through the dummy portfolio, I've had to sell about two to four stocks a month, usually. And I know that you've said that you usually only turn over about 60% of your portfolio every year. That sounds about right, yeah. But if I'm selling two to four stocks a month on average out of a portfolio of 20 stocks, that's more than 100% if that goes over yeah. I know there have been periods last year, like I went back and looked at May last year, and I don't think I sold anything in May last year. So there have been periods of a couple of months where we didn't sell anything for a few months. So maybe it does average out. I don't know. But I just wondered if th- that sounded a little bit high, the amount that I've been selling. It's definitely high, Cam. This is one of the choppiest periods of the market I've ever seen. It's going up. It's coming back. It's going up. Look at how many times the ASX has gone above 7,000 and back below 7,000. It's almost like it's tethered to that number. I'm not just talking about this month. I'm talking about like in the last six months. So am I. Okay, right. So it has been particularly choppy in the last six months, all right? Yes. Here's a question. Taylor, my son, Taylor, who's currently sleeping his way through LA and drinking his way through LA by the sounds of it, uh, texted me the other day and he goes, I thought QAV was supposed to be counter-cyclical. <laughs> and I was like, what? Who told you that? He goes, you did. You've been telling me for three years that it's counter-cyclical. When stuff is falling, we find the stuff that goes up. I said, no, I don't think I've ever said that. Like if the market's down, the stocks that we own are going to go down, hopefully by not as much, and we get out and we have stop losses and all that kind of stuff. And then he said, no, you said that uh, 
when the market's down, we try and find the stuff that's going up. And I said, well, that, yeah, that is true. We will only buy stuff that's going up. We can't, otherwise it's a Josephine, right? If stuff's going down, we don't buy it. So we do look for stuff that is counter-cyclical, stuff that's going up when the market's going down. We don't try and buy stuff that's going down when the market's going up, though, so <laughs> not counter-cyclical no. in that respect. I think, is he confusing counter-cyclically with contrarianism, perhaps? Probably, and I may have confused those in my terminology with him before too, but we're definitely contrarian investors, but I don't think we're counter-cyclical really. I mean, we go up when the market goes up, we go down when the market goes down. We just try and go up more than the market does when it's going up and down less when it's going down. Yeah, I mean, I, I think of the market as a, like a, a crate of apples and if we take out all the bad stocks, the good ones are left and the value of the good apples at the left must be higher than the value of the crate before we took the bad ones out. So That's my theory of marriage too, Tony. Like if I marry all the bad women, get them out of the way, then I, I find the good one. I, I hope Christy's the good one. She's definitely the good one, <laughs> yeah. I always think of ourselves, we're still investing in the, in the share market, so we're going to be tethered to what the share market does, but we're just going to do a little bit better than the share market. Where If you think of a range above and below the, the share market index, over time, we'll be in the, the top half of that range above the share market index. But we're still going to be tied to the index. I feel guilty now. There was nothing bad about my ex-wives. It's not their fault at all. I don't want any bad karma because <laughs> I pretended that I had bad ex-wives. It wasn't them. It was all me. Negative wives. Not them. Yeah, no negative wives. Sorry. I just had to get that out there. I felt I felt guilty <laughs> after I said that. That was harsh. <laughs> it was all your fault anyway, I'm sure. Everything is always all my fault, Tony. <laughs> That's rule one for being a dad, isn't it? That's just rule one for life. Everything is my fault. Rule number two is there's no such thing as free will and it's all just Adam, so that negates the first one. So, <laughs> Anyway, enough of that. What else have you got on your list of news to talk about this week, TK? A few things. So there's been a couple of companies reporting recently. So these would be the stocks which have a March deadline or thereabouts. They're coming through Stock Doctor at the moment. So ECX Eclipse has uh, new results in. Uh, it still remains on the buy list, uh, though, with a QAB score of 0.28 last time I had a look. And the same for NAB, National Australia Bank. They've just reported, as has uh, three of the four big banks and Macquarie, uh, but NAB have a QAB of 0.12, so lower down, but still on the list. We'll get to PDL or Pendle in a minute, but uh, we I did a pull pork <laughs> on it last week. They've just got new numbers in the buy list this week. So just ignore the pulled pork from last week anyway. And it wasn't the one that somebody that I think it was Mark had asked you to do it. No, Dave. It was Dave from Newey. I told you last week, was it a PTL? And you're like, no, no PDL. Yeah. All right. Yeah, okay. Sorry. <laughs> I'll do PTL today, Dave. Sorry about that. <laughs> sorry about that, Chief. <laughs> <laughs> Missed it by that much. <laughs> yeah, okay. PDL's got new numbers. Yes, so and it's not on the buy list. Good numbers? No. Bad numbers? Oh, well, they're okay, but not on the buy list anymore. What else? Oh, yes, so with all this buying and selling that I've been doing, and I guess other people have been doing it too, it's a good time to look at the CGT position. So it's kind of uh, middle of May that we're, we're talking now. If you have incurred, as I have, because of all the buying and selling capital gain, net capital gain, you might want to do some weed pulling to reduce that before tax time, before end of June. So this is not tax advice. Seek your own financial advice. But 
I know with ShareSite where I track my portfolio, I can run a report giving me a capital gains tax view of where I am at the moment and an unrealized gains tax report as well. And I can sort of manage things to try and optimize uh, how I want things to look at the end of the year. And bear in mind all of the other rules around any sort of tax selling. You can't sort of sell it on in June and buy it back in July. That'll be seen as, as washing by the tax office and, and a, a sale and buy, which was done just for tax purposes. So put that into the mix. If I was selling a weed now, I'd, I'd be want to be fairly certain I wouldn't buy it back again in six months, the next six months, and sort of look like I was selling it just for tax reasons. Tony, if you're selling weed right now, just bring some up with you when you come across the border. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, I just want to highlight that. The the clock's ticking towards the end of June. We've been buying and selling a lot. I had a big CGT position because I sold Fortescue Metals Group in particular, and I think Champion Iron as well in the second half of last year, which is the first half of the financial year. So I'm just trying to come to grips with that. Uh, What else? We've spoken before about how oftentimes companies on our buy list get takeover offers. And I read in the front page of today's Fin Review that Bramble's is subject to a takeover by a private equity firm, CBC. And Brambles, I think, may have just been on our buy list for a short while. It's about a QAV score of 0.08 at the moment because its share price has been rising with speculation about takeovers. But uh, yeah, another example of the big guns at the money end of the street also seeing value in some of the stuff that we see as well, which I think always find validating for our, uh, our process. Someone asked a question on Facebook a little while ago about uh, where to find listed investment company information because I had said out that Jenny's default position if I don't make it before uh, well don't outlive her is the, is to take the the funds that we have in our shares and put them in the top three listed investment companies. We shouldn't be talking about that when she's got COVID and you might have COVID. It's- <laughs> yeah, I know it's a morbid topic, isn't it? But anyway, the where I get information about the listed investment companies and their sizes through a Morningstar report, which comes out monthly. So you can get that from the Morningstar website. If you Google Morningstar LIC report, LIC report, you'll find it. And it has, uh, I, I think, all of the listed investment companies by market cap in that. So you can easily find the top three. It, I think it also gives their rating on those listed investment companies and a bit of other information. Oh, it gives their, importantly, it gives their NPA backing and whether they're a trading at a premium or discount to that MTA. So it's not a bad report to have a look at. Someone else asked a question a week or two ago about South 32 and whether that was a sell because of the aluminium graph, but they also asked about the alumina graph. And uh, I found it hard to track down an alumina graph, but I did, did do some further research and, and South 32 not only sells aluminum, aluminium, sorry, but also alumina. So it is germane to the question that was asked. However, I think the aluminium was making up a large enough part of South 32's um, revenue that it was a sell just based on aluminium by itself. We spoke about MML changing its name to X64 last week, and I did pick up it's pronounced 1064, which is what they call themselves now, even though the code is X64. So I just wanted to clarify that for people. And I think that was because they bought a company in Queensland with a large uh, prospective gold field called 1064, which is why they changed their name. A couple of musings, which I've been doing, which I'll, I'll talk about here. I haven't really changed anything because of this yet, but I'll throw it out there for people to have a think about themselves. Brett from the Breadalator put me on to a thing called Renko Charts, R-E-N-K-O. We were 
debating back and forwards last week about what the iron ore sell price should be if we fudged it. And Brett said, hey, have a look at this, Renko charts. If you're using Stock Doctor, if you go into the advanced charting where you normally select on the line graph and you have other options there like candlestick and bar graph, you'll see an icon which is a series of boxes and that's that's a Renko graph. And it's pretty cool. I've been playing around with it and it's not a bad sort of chart to have a look at. It doesn't, what it does is it doesn't graph things across an even timeline or an even dollar gradation. It basically graphs them in quantum jumps. So every time the share price goes up by a certain amount, it gets a, a green box. And every time it goes down by a certain amount, it gets a red box. So you, you do quite easily and visually spot the long-term trends. And uh, you can auto-select that. So it just on a five-year graph, it'll pick out what the most appropriate quantum is for those boxes and draw it automatically in Stock Doctor. Or you can put your own amount in manually if you want to, if you want to say, look at a 10% Renko graph for buys, uh, for, sorry, raises or, or uh, drops, it'll graph that for you as well. So that's uh, actually playing around with it to see um, how it correlates to our three-point trend lines, but certainly a very easy way to see some of the charts that we're dealing with if people want to have a look at that. And the other one that I was, um, I went back to a long time ago when I was working full-time and, and I guess looking for shortcuts to invest in the market with. One of the ones I landed on was a report which gave us the forecast dividend yields for uh, shares in the share market. And Bayou's used to put it out. And it was a good predictor of stocks that were turning around. And so I, I ran it. Bayou's don't no longer put it out as far as I know. But uh, I ran it using a stock doctor filter, a very simple one, just on forecast dividend yield. And it correlated pretty highly with the buy list. So I'm going to do some more work on that to see whether we incorporate it in the buy list as, as uh, a checkpoint. Sometimes it's not worth doing that because if they correlate highly, then it's, you know, it's not going to change the result in the buy list. But I want to, I want to have a look at it. I think it might be a, a candidate for admission. I guess it's a bit of a dog to the Dow type indicator. If something is predicted to yield well, so it's forecast dividend payment based on its current share price. If that's a high number, it's likely the share price is low at the moment. And uh, so we expect it to rebound. There are other reasons too for that. Of course, companies that are doing really well and making lots of money also pay off dividends, which are high. Like, uh... And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc., just sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style, but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, 
we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Um, check that out too. Um, it's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But, uh, you know, while he's not, <laughs> we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. Um, that's it. Um, if you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episodes. And if you have any questions, uh, shoot me an email. you find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFS cell 520442, AFS representative number 00129217182. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions. Thank you.